Let's jump in. It's Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Moses was shepherding the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the west end of the wilderness and came to the mountain of God, Horeb. The angel of God appeared to him in flames of fire blazing out of the middle of a bush. He looked. The bush was blazing away, but it didn't burn up. Moses said, what's going on here? I can't believe this. Amazing. Why doesn't the bush burn up? God saw that he had stopped to look. God called to him from out of the bush. Moses, Moses, he said, yes, I'm right here. Verse 7, God said, I've taken a good long look at the affliction of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries for deliverance from their slave masters. I know all about their pain. And now I've come down to help them, pry them loose from the grip of Egypt, get them out of that country and bring them to a good land with wide open spaces, a land lush with milk and honey, the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Pezzarite, the, Hiv- the Hivite, or Hivite, and the Jezdezite. The Israelite cry for help has come to me, and I've seen for myself how cruelly they're being treated by the Egyptians. Sounds awesome. God says, I've heard, I've seen. And then the next verse, it says, it's time for you to go back. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the people of Egypt, or people of Israel, out of Egypt. I want to talk to you for a few minutes. Last week, we talked about desperation. Today, I want to talk about deliverers. Would you please pray? And would you ask God to help you bring down your guard? so you can hear what he has prepared for you. Jesus, God, we're thankful today that we can come into a place that's safe. We call this a sanctuary, which means there's no harm here. No one's hunting us. We are safe. God, would you let us feel that safety? Would you let us feel that we are surrounded by your love, that we're enveloped in your spirit, and God, that we are safe? to open our hearts to what we hear because you want to do something with your people. God, we're thankful for what you've done in the worship. We're thankful for what you've done uh, when the children were up here in the front. But God, we're thankful as well for what you're going to do in the next few minutes in the hearts and lives of those who are listening. God, help me to say something of eternal value. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. 430 years of harsh slavery has culminated in the desperate cry for deliverance. An old-time preacher once said, the tragedy of our time is that the situation is desperate, but the church is not. And so I challenge you last week that we must once again allow desperation, not despair, not disappointment, not delinquency, not despondency, but desperation to rise up again in our soul so that we too will cry out for freedom and change. Why is that important? In the account in Exodus, we're told in chapter 2 that it's the cry of desperation that catches God's attention. Their cry for help, the Bible said, ascended to God, and he was moved to take action. I want us to become desperate because I've learned that the one cry that God always responds to is the cry for help. But it is this response that produces another dilemma that we must address. 
in order for us to find freedom from self-sabotage, depression, financial crisis, or financial change, prejudice, gluttony, anger, the list goes on and on, or any other imprisoning force that we may face, we must learn to deal with this dilemma. One of the dilemmas we're going to address may be one of the two hardest to navigate. However, it's essential for us to put this one to rest if we're going to be free. It's the dilemma of deliverers. The fact is that in order for most people to be free, they must be led to freedom. Left to our own preferences and devices, we settle comfortably into slavery. We will make short forays into desperation when the pain of our slavery rises to the surface, yes, but then apathy, distraction, unwillingness to pay the price, or a ton of other things will push us back into compliance and ultimately complacency. That's why in Hebrews chapter 10, 24, and 25, we are told that we need to, as the Bible says, let us see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out, not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. The writer knew that on our own, freedom is just a fantasy. See, I don't know why church folks are so churchy. Chris, I don't know, man. I don't know. We, we're like real people, and then we get in church and we become phony. I am not in church because I wanted to be in church. Oh, pastor. Oh, wait, wait, wait for lightning bolt. Here it comes. I'm not here because I wanted to. I'm here because somebody talked to me. I'm here because somebody actually had the guts to come up to a grumpy dude and talk to me about a man named Jesus. I'm not here by accident. I wasn't going to the club and accidentally pulled into the parking lot of the church. No, sir. No, ma'am. I am not here because I want to. I am now, but I wasn't when I first came. I was here because someone told me about a freedom that I didn't even know was available to me, given to me at no cost if I would only accept it. The hardest thing for somebody to accept is that you need freedom when they're happy in their slavery. That's the hardest things. 430 years of slavery in Israel finally gets to the point they cry out to God. God hears and moves to action. I'm not here. I'm here because someone led me here. We always say, well, somebody led me to the Lord or somebody won me to God. Basically what it is, is God sent a deliverer to JT. It's easy to say, oh, that's the person who won me to the Lord. It sounds cute. He taught me a Bible study. Yeah. No, God sent me a deliverer wrapped up in a man named Don because he knew I needed the freedom that I didn't even know I, I needed or was available. And because of that, 20-something years later, here I am talking to you about the same deliverance that is still available, the same freedom that is still open to all who will. But see, we don't like the word deliver. I don't need deliver from nothing. Deliver my babies, that's all you can do, or my mail. I don't need another delivery. Yeah. Listen. Listen, let me state this clearly. <laughs> we must be spurred. We must be pushed. We must be drug out of despair. We must be kicked out of comfort. I promise you, most of you, you, most of you needed somebody to encourage you. So let me state this clearly before we dive into the dilemma that is created for the children of Israel and is also created for us now. Delivers are divinely appointed individuals who are unwilling to settle at anything less and then the fullness of the promise of God that he has for us. So, so these individuals are willing to pay any price to get us to freedom. 
So back to the well-known story. I just want to put that in there. Let me point out some things quickly. You remember that Moses sees one of his Egyptian Israelite, uh, Egyptians beating an Israelite slave, and he intervenes, and he kills the Egyptian. However, the Israelites reject Moses because although he's an Israelite, he grew up in Pharaoh's palace, so Moses was unwanted by either side. So he flees to the desert where he begins to shepherd the flocks of his future father-in-law sheep. It's on the backside of this desert that God calls Moses to be the deliverer for the children of Israel in what we know as the burning bush account. Israel cries out to God for deliverance in chapter 2, and God speaks to Moses in chapter 3. Israel speaks to God. God speaks to Moses, and it repeats over and over and over. Here's the first dilemma that we face today. God uses surrogates. The account, this account, every account that follows, including the coming of Christ in the Gospels, reveals to us that God uses representatives. God loves to work through other people. This created an issue because the dilemma the Israelites had was that they had a hard time identifying and recognizing the deliverer. So when he shows up on the scene, they reject him. The same thing happened when Jesus showed up. People reject God's representatives. We cry out to God for help. We want freedom, but we also want God to speak direct to us. I, look, that's fine. I'm a library preacher. I ain't scared of none of y'all. I'll kick over your library books. We all want God to speak to us. Give me a word, God. Give me a word. But most of the time, the word that you get is usually not for you. It's usually for somebody else. So we want God to do this. God, I want you to do it, but don't use anybody else, just, just you and me, which is great. We don't have any Bible for it, though, but that's great. That's North American selfishness right there. Just talk to me. Forget everybody else. Don't use anybody else, just me and you, Jesus. See, we fail to understand is the truth is that most of the time when we cry out to God, he's already talking to our deliverer. We expect God to send deliver after we are trapped, but what we miss is that sometimes God positions a deliverer before we are trapped. Do you remember the story of Joseph? I talked to him about last week or two weeks ago or, or sometime in the last five years I talked about Joseph. Is that God already put him in place long before the famine happened. So many times you get in a spot where you actually cry out to God and you're looking for a word and God says, no, I've already been talking to a deliverer and he or she is on their way. See, Psalms 105, 16 through 17, then he called down a famine on the country. He broke every last blade of wheat, but he sent a man on ahead, Joseph, sold as a slave. Some of us are waiting for freedom to show up, but freedom got here before you got trapped. Our problem is, is our problem is with deliverers. You just haven't recognized that there's a deliverer in your life yet. You just, you don't know. See, some of you haven't got past this deliverer. What do you need delivered from? Can we run down the laundry list? Stuff that you watch on the internet you shouldn't watch. Some call that pornography. Um, how about lust, greed? Um, you're out of control in your finances. You're out of control in your physical life. You, you have all kinds of addictions. Do you want me to go on? I can run the laundry list. I can think of 10 things right now on every single person, including me, that I need deliverance from. I can just hide it from you better. Are you in sin, Pastor? No, but I need deliverance from all kinds of stuff. Uh, non-patience, anger, frustration, people getting on my last nerve, uh, all that stuff. But we don't like the word deliverance. We just need a little help. Okay. Get a little help all you want. But if I'm in slavery, dude, don't help me. Get me out. I don't want no help. Don't, don't send me a care package. Get me out. 
See, we're looking for, I want a little bit of help. Just God, can you help me? No, God wants to deliver us. But we, see, we can't get past the word deliver. Oh, you need some deliverance. Mm. We do. Look up the word deliverance. It's not as bad as you think. Look it up. Look it up. If you got the phone, look it up now. It's fine. Our issue is that we have a hard time identifying our deliverer. So when Moses shows up on the scene, we reject him. So how many of us have rejected deliverance because we didn't like the deliverer that the, that the deliverance showed up in? You know, sometimes, don't make fun of me. I'll make fun of you if you want to. I don't really care. You know, they have all these YouTubers that they, they do fragrance reviews. But they talk for five minutes about the box. Dude, I don't care about the box, the batch code, if it's wrapped in cellophane. I don't care if it has a magnetic top. How does it smell, bro? But the, the, the fragrance nerds, the frag heads, care about the package as much as the contents. I wonder how many Christian frag nerds we have where you care about the package. Your deliverance comes in more than the actual deliverance. Bro, I don't care what the box says. I don't care if the bottle looks just ridiculous. Nobody sees that. All they see is the essence. All they do, all they smell is what's in the bottle. You got people like, I can't believe they didn't change their bottle logo. Dude, you don't carry the bottle around your neck. Who cares what it looks like? But does the inside work? We're just like that. Let's make a video on all the people God ever tried to send to us, but we couldn't get past the box. Because I don't like it. Mm. If I could play the piano, I'd play it by myself. Mm. So, sister, could it be that while you're crying out to God for freedom, he's speaking to your deliverer, husband, brother? Could it be while you've pleaded for help, God has already given your wife a word? Young people, could it be while you are wrestling with depression and self-image problems that God has already given you a parent that knows the way out of those traps? Could it be, churchgoer, that while you are suffering in silence, God sets someone right next to you that has traveled that same path and knows that way to freedom? It's about revelation more than it's about release. Many of our prayers would shift or should shift from deliverance to praying for our deliverer and our ability to recognize that person. We would find that we would begin to see deliverance become a reality. How many times does freedom, breakthrough, and, rev and revelation show up in a package, a package that we can't digest? Could it be that our freedom will come packaged in a different color, a different sound, a different volume? Could it be that our freedom will come wrapped up in freckles? Could it be our freedom may come wrapped up in wrinkles? How many rejected rescuers have we left in our wake? So I was doing this message. Sister Connie, I had to ask myself the hard question. How many people has God sent to me in the last, I don't know how many years, we'll call it 21 years, that I turned away because looking at the package, I didn't think what was on the inside was worth listening to. I know y'all don't judge a book by its cover, but some of us still do, so please pray for me. I know y'all are way past that, and you Oh, well, they haven't been in church long, or I don't know who they are, or, or they, they, they don't look like the person I think could actually give me a word. So, oh, so, so now you're dictating God how to package your deliverance. How many people? I would say it's probably more than 10. 
Just wonder how many people. So we better come to grips with the fact that God uses surrogates to set us free. I'll let you breathe. But another one is deliverance is usually derailed by our preferences. The children of Israel, after enduring harsh bondage for 430 years, almost missed deliverance because of their preferences. They would rather not follow Moses. He was one of them, but wasn't. He had another issue, too, that didn't prefer, that he stuttered. He wasn't perfect, but he was placed and present. See, some of us want perfect deliverers, but God typically sends people who are flawed but favored, who are placed and present. See, this preference is a two-way street dilemma. Some of you don't prefer to deliver God has sent you. However, on the other hand, like Moses, some of you are called to deliver the people in your house, your neighborhood, your workplace, maybe even in your church, but you'd rather just decline. It's a two-way street. You know, like Moses, he gave five excuses. He's standing in a burning bush while account miracles. He's talking to God without his shoes on, And he begins to tell the God of the universe why he can't do it with his five excuses. Number one, I'm not good enough. Well, congratulations, nobody is. Or number two, I I don't have all the answers. Now, Moses grew up in Pharaoh's house. So Pharaoh's daughter, as a baby, took him into, into the palace, into the kingdom. So he would have been trained. He spoke multiple languages. He would have been well read. He was an educated man. But Moses still thought it was about him. Some of you, the first thing people find out when I'm a pastor is, well, how many years of seminary did you go to? Uh, is zero a number? I didn't go to any. You know what happens when you finish four years or six years of seminary and you get out? Same thing you finish four or six years of college, you don't have a job. You got school and bills. How many of y'all are like, hey, man, I got four years of college. You, you must be an expert then. Good luck with that. See, we don't, we don't, the, the packaging, you see, the, the, uh, it's, Moses, it's not about you, about having all the answers, or people won't believe me. So you, you, you struggle with the same fears. I don't, I don't care if you're in a desert. I don't care if you didn't pastor one sheep in your life. I bet you told God all five of these reasons and excuses. I'm not good enough. I don't have all the answers. People won't believe me. I'm a terrible public speaker, which is, People that he's, well, he, he was stuttered. He probably stuttered, but Moses gave some awesome speeches in the Bible. If you, if you actually read it instead of just save your seat with it, you'll, you'll know that there's some speeches Moses gave. He was in order. I don't know if he was stuttering the whole time he was doing it, but he was, he was public speaking. He was doing the very thing that he told God he couldn't do. And he says, I'm not qualified. And that's when God had it. Now, have you ever been in the desert? been in the desert. But as God is listening to his excuses, and, he, and Moses tells God, it's the excuse, I'm not qualified. He says, uh, your, your brother Aaron, he's coming this way. It's crazy that God says, I, he was so angry, he says, you know what, I already sent him because I knew what you were going to say. He said, now you're not going to say nothing. I mean, God already equipped him with this fancy miracle working rod. Throw it down. It's a snake. Pick it up. It's a rod. Oh, how about the leprosy thing? Uh, Put it in. Take it out. Leprosy. That wasn't enough. He said, I gave you all this stuff, and now you tell me you you can't speak? So how many of us miss 
what God wants because of excuses. See, we've allowed our preference for anonymity, peace, and timidity to cause us to refuse to step up. You know, too many of us want to play the gray man. You know, the gray man is the person you, they're not really at the top and they're not really at the bottom, they're just kind of in the middle. God's like, no gray men in the church. I need you to do something, every one of you. So we begin to make excuses as to why we can't be a deliverer. And your preferences keep folks in prison. Well, I don't like that, Pastor. We talked about how many people have I left in my wake that God actually sent to help me, but because they weren't packaged the way I wanted them to be, they never got their message to me. They're like, oh, Pastor, that's terrible. What if I flip it around? How many people have God actually told you to go talk to, to give a word, to give an encouragement, to help them, and you gave God excuses instead of listening to them? If you flip it around, I don't like the other side of that coin either. See, our preferences become our strongest prison. I've learned that although you get to choose deliverance, you normally do not get to choose how you're delivered. We let our preferences get in the way of our freedom. We want to pick the soundtrack of our freedom. We want to pick the travel partners. We want to pick the path. We want to pick the pace. We want to pick whether we are the follower, the leader. You don't get to pick any of that. When most people don't obey God, whether it's something simple like coming to the altar to repent of their sins, to be baptized in water, be baptized in the spirit, whatever it is, most of the time it's because it's not moving at their soundtrack, at their pace. They want to be in control. I'm sorry, but our desire for control keeps us constrained. You can either have freedom or control, but you can't have both. Choose one. I want to control everything. That's fine. You're going to be miserable. As a Christian, yes. As a human being, if you try to control everything and bring that mess into the church, you're going to have a hard time. You can either have freedom or control, but you can't have both. You have to choose. Some of you are sitting next to your deliverer right now, but because they have issues or because they don't fit your preconceived ideas of what Moses should look like, you dismiss relationship with them. You throw their advice away as if, as if it was them talking. You refuse to follow their lead when their lead could be the roadmap right out of years of bondage and suffering. Now, I know that this is going to be watched by people who might know I'm talking about them, and you know what I say? Good. But the same guy that preached in our, in our pulpit, same guy that ministered, the same guy that has a powerful prayer ministry, could never be seen as such because he didn't dress the part in the church I was growing up. Because you know God can only speak to people or through people with suits and white shirts. And you got to have a tie on, you know, got to have a tie and all that. Because God couldn't possibly talk through anybody that has on jeans. And instead of embracing a powerful ministry, they dismiss them because they, they're not packaged in the box they like. So he, he's probably been in church almost 40 years. And he won't be invited to speak anywhere because people are more concerned on the packaging instead of the contents. Newsflash. God can use a whole bunch of people, and he don't need them in a suit. 
He don't need them with a microphone. He know, you, you can have 14 different color hair. I'll use whoever he wants to. Let, let me run down some of my favorites just in case you um, think that you may not qualify. Can I just give you what I like to call my list of messed up Bible heroes? How about when you start with Adam? The first man was a blame shifter who couldn't resist peer pressure. Or Eve, the first woman couldn't control her appetite and, should we say, had the first eating disorder. How about Cain, the firstborn human being, murdered his brother? Noah, the, the last righteous man on earth at the same time, was a drunk who slept in the nude. Abraham, the forefather of faith, left other, uh, let other men walk off with his wife on two different occasions. How about Sarah, the most gorgeous woman by popular opinion, let her husband sleep with another woman and then hated her for it? How about Lot, who lost his father, his father early in life, had a serious problem with choosing the wrong company. What about Job, supposedly a contemporary of Abraham and the epitome of faith, suffered from the nagging of a faithless wife? Isaac, who was nearly killed by his father, talked his wife into concealing their marriage. Rebecca, the first mail-order bride, turned out to be a rather manipulative wife. Jacob, who out-wrestled God, was pretty much a pathological deceiver. How about Rachel, who wrote the book on love at first sight, was a nomadic kleptomaniac? How about Reuben, the pride and firstborn of Jacob, who was a pervert who slept with his father's concubine? Moses, the humblest man on the face of the earth, had a very serious problem with his temper. Aaron, who watched Jehovah triumph over Pharaoh, formed an abominable idol during an apparent episode of attention uh, deficit disorder, perhaps colossal amnesia. How about Miriam, the songwriter, had sibling jealousy and a, and a greed for power? Samson would put Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jesse Ventura to shape was hopelessly enmeshed with a disloyal wife and ended up taking his own life. Eli, who ruled over Israel, was a hopeless, incapable father who lost his sons to immorality and to an, an untimely death. Saul, the first and powerful king of Israel, was apparently a, a, um, a psychotic um, with manic bursts of anger, episodes of deep depression and traces of paranoia too, and he committed suicide. How about David, the friend of God, concealed his adultery with, with a murder. Uh, Solomon, the wisest man in the world, was arguably the world's greatest sect addict with a thousand concubines. The rare exception of all the kings that followed Solomon had mammoth issues with their life. Hosea was an incredibly forgiving man, grappled with the pain of a wife who could be described as, I won't even use that word with the kids in here, the prophets even as they spoke for, uh, for God, struggle with impurity, depression, unfaithful spouses, and broken families. So what are you saying, pastor? Dysfunction cannot equate or cannot be equated with our standing before God. Just because you have something wrong with you, don't think for a hot second that disqualifies you from God using you. Don't use it for a cop-out. This is one of the things I need to deliver with because when I see that, I want to jump on you and land in your chest with both feet. Do not let something that's wrong with your life be your excuse you use for the rest of your life why God can't use you. God used a whole bunch of folks that with messed up lives and they're all in Hebrews chapter 11, which is the chapter of, the, of, of faith, the hall of faith. They're all in there. You can't find one person that says, man, they were perfect. I'll be like them. As soon as you find them, keep reading. God doesn't hide the humanity in the Bible. Why? Because if he did, we would all disqualify ourselves without even trying. God doesn't hide the humanity. He shows it. Most of these people can be categorized. 
Yes. As righteous. Righteous. Or at least people of faith, we see they're listed in Hebrews chapter 11. See, some of you are missing deliverance because you prefer it to come a different way. You expect to be packaged differently. And some of you are refusing to let God use you because you think your packaging disqualifies you. Others are the deliverer that's refusing to step up. You're waiting on God to use someone else, and he's waiting on you. I I won't be long. Todd, you can make your way if you want to, brother. I think folks are getting restless. Listen, this isn't about your preference. This is about your pardon. This isn't about your desire. It's about your deliverance. See, somewhere along the way, it got cool to not admit we need help. I've had people say, man, Brother JT, I can't believe you are so real. You mean I'm not openly lying? <laughs> that I struggle with the same things you struggle with? That my mind and my, or my soul has been sanctified, saved, set apart, but I still got to deal with this mind for every day that I walk on this planet? That just because I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit does not mean I'm perfect, does not mean I don't have bad days, does not mean that some days are really bad. It does not mean that I don't get frustrated, upset, just plain mad, all that stuff. I'm tired of these fake, plastic, phony preachers with the perfect smile they paid $20,000 for that thinks everything is right. Everything ain't right. God is good and he's dealing with us and letting us have deliverance every single day. The only thing that's good is him. The only thing that we can actually trust in is him. We all need to realize we need a little deliverance. It's time to agree with whatever method and whatever messenger God chooses to use. Now, I've seen that brother that stood in this pulpit, and you know who he is. He's the one who won me to God. I've seen him in his blue jeans with his keys out to here, about 9,000 keys. Sounds like he's like a, like a cowboy walking with spurs. I've seen him talk to preachers in their dressed-up suit and their $500 shoes and tears running down their face as he's ministering to them in the spirit with his jeans on. But they won't let him in the pulpit, fake and phony people. Jesus is going to use who's going to use. You know what? You can, you can argue all you want about perfect. You can debate what a, what a preacher, what a man or a woman of God is supposed to look like, what someone is supposed to be used to God, how they're supposed to look like and talk like and dress like, but you cannot deny the results. You can't deny. We can debate all you want to. Just because you dress like you work for IBM doesn't mean that God's going to use you. God's going to use who he wants to use. See, like I said before, it's time to agree as you stand with me with whatever method and with whatever messenger God chooses to use. If they will march you out of bondage into freedom, it's time to speak when spotlighted. It's time to lead when led. You don't get to dictate deliverance. You get to participate in it. You don't get to dictate. You get to participate in deliverance. God, give us insight, revelation. Let us lay down our preferences and participate in deliverance, whether we're a follower or a leader. This is how God draws us out to draw us in. 
only way that I know that I have to accept the call of God to be a deliverer to somebody is because someone accepted the call to deliver me. Let us not be so arrogant to be led to the foot of the cross and refuse to lead others. Let us not be so arrogant to know that a, a simple conversation changed our entire life and eternal destination and now we can't even go out of our way to talk to people we say we love. We need a deliverer and we need to be a deliverer to others. What do you say, C3? Can you talk to God? Wherever you are, whether you need that deliverance or whether, you say, or whether you've been rejecting being a deliverer, would you talk to God? Would you let him minister to you as Todd sings? Yeah.